gotta get the shooting elbow up. Come on, Gab, let's just do it, man. Let's do it. Lay it off with the bang, let's go. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Center Ed Teaching. Um, last week, we kind of tackled a difficult topic with revisiting uh, shootings in schools. And so as we think about um, some of the other educational issues that we want to think about going into the summer, um, we're going to talk about math phobia, like what that means and how that manifests in um, schools. And so joining us for the first time in a long time is Greg. <laughs> hey, hello, hello. And joining us for the first time is Gabor. Yes, hello, hello. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no, thanks for being here, guys. So these are the two math experts. So since I know nothing, we're going to defer to them. Um, and so the first question that I want to ask you guys is, what is math phobia? Because prior to this podcast, I thought like math phobia was like a joke, like, haha, like you have a fear of math, but like, it's a real thing. So can you guys tell me what it is? Sure, definitely. It, it, it is a real thing, and it's something that's become clear as the years have gone by. More research has been done. It's this panic and helplessness, paralysis, uh, mental disorganization that arises among some people when they're required to solve some kind of mathematical problem. And it, it manifests in symptoms and other negative math experiences that lead to this vicious cycle where this fear of math interferes with learning, and it leads to even more negative math experiences. So it's almost like a freezing, like when you're getting into math problems. So, I mean, if I'm a teacher in a classroom, how can I tell the difference between maybe a student who doesn't want to do a particular problem at that time and when there's a manifestation of this like math phobia? Um, that's a great follow-up question, but um, I just want to interject and yeah. say that um, math anxiety doesn't actually come from like a one era, one problem, or one experience. It's actually like an accumulation of experiences that students face. Um, mathematics is like any other subject um, where your, your success in mathematics is like directly connected to like last year's experience or last term's experience. Where in English and history, you can read a new book, right? Mm -hmm. Or you can kind of start a new genre. And there's these kind of resets within the, the given subjects where students can kind of hit and re-energize themselves. Where in mathematics, it's like, um, I need to know how to solve an equation to, to help me out in my later subjects or my, in, in my later topics. So if I don't have the foundational skills um, down, down at least packed, then I'm going to face difficulties later on uh, within the subject itself. Um, but so I, I think uh, as far as it goes with teachers, um, we have to kind of identify like what what math phobia kind of looks like, what it sounds like, and like what it what it kind of like how how are students expressing it. Mm -hmm. um, so if you see students kind of already giving up on the problem prior to actually like reading it, mm -hmm. or um, if you see students kind of um, uh, trying to exit a task, um, prior to like, prior to like the explanation, their skills, it's like they've, they've have this learned helplessness, mm -hmm. um, that they acquire through years and years of like, uh, schooling and they, they built up these, like, uh, these, these ways to kind of avoid the task in itself. Um, so teachers can become knowledgeable by identifying these, these smaller nuances that students are doing or, or how students are expressing themselves and kind of like start there. 
um, mm-hmm. when when kind of trying to combat a battle uh, math anxiety in itself. So what I'm hearing you say is some of like these early manifestations might be first day of class. There's like, how comfortable are you with math? And if a student says, you know, like on a scale of one to five, one, maybe even two, that might set off a red flag that, okay, there's already some kind of relationship here. And then maybe you're doing some math problems and you see the student look for a second and then disengage. That might be evidence of a deeper problem than like, I don't want to work right now or do that. It might actually be related to this anxiety, which is stemming from math. That is correct. All right. So you both have done research on this for your dissertations, which congratulations (laughs) on completing those. Um, And I was hoping you guys have done some work around uh, math anxiety and maybe some of the ways that pop culture and society can reinforce notions of this. Can you guys just share a little bit about your work? Um, So speaking to the earlier point we just touched on within the classroom and students' perspective, it's not only the teacher's personality, but it's also what the students are getting, whether it be at home with their parents or Mm -hmm. what they're seeing. Media nowadays has moved from just the genre of uh, television or newspapers you might have seen to now this vast internet full of information, a Mm -hmm. bunch of apps and things. So there's this collective um, mindset now growing as well for students that even before they step into the classroom on the first day, they're also already starting to somewhat build up their Mm -hmm. ideas of themselves or others in their perspectives on mathematics. Um, Yeah, so um, they have these kind of uh, damaged mathematics identities um, when entering the classroom, which kind of halts or hinders uh, their mathematical experiences. um, um, And somebody's identity can kind of speak whole of like how willing they are to engage in the task uh, prior to even giving the task in itself. So if I'm understanding what you're saying a little bit is there's like a pop culture, a social element that's maybe even more exaggerated in students' development of their identity and related to math. And so much of what's on the internet or what's on TV portrays math in this negative light that that's having an impact on students. Is that the argument that I'm hearing? Yes. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just want to, I just want to make sure. But so I guess my follow-up to that is, what are some specific ways? Is that I mean, are we talking about something like memes? Are we talking about TV shows? Because, I, I mean, I can think of math, right, being portrayed in this negative light, but I'm just curious, like, what you guys have found in your work. All right. And so, specifically, we broke up our dissertations into two different fields. Um, I, I worked with mainly looking at a set of videos that are found either on YouTube, television, any kind of other social media platform, whether it be Instagram, things like that. And um, there are, it turned out there are fairly common messages that students are getting about mathematics, that it's hard, it's not useful, um, you have to do it quickly, um, you're born with this, this ability to, do, to be good with math. And a lot of, uh, all of these different points are things that um, are a result of math phobias. They, they actually kind of stem from uh, coming from some of these these bad experiences students have had, or just this this collective among um, the societal view of mathematics, and so one of the ideas is um, that looking into mathematics, there's a difference between how you personally perceive something as a student and your ability. That if you give it, you increase your effort, you can do better, or um, that it's okay to take your time when answering math questions and it's more so of the process and it's worth taking 
the struggle to get mm-hmm. something right and um, that there's usefulness in, in everyday lives. So Greg, I know you want to jump in on something, but I just want to ask a quick follow-up question because you were talking about videos that were on YouTube or maybe Instagram. So, I mean, can you give an example maybe of what one of these videos looks like? Because I'm thinking like, okay, I'm going to do a YouTube search for math and see what videos there are, but I don't think 12-year-olds are like, oh, I'm going to go on YouTube and look at math. So, Because it just kind of seems frightening with these messages that you're saying that are there that they would be in videos that would be so widely circulated. Sure. These are things that stem from game contests on TV like Jeopardy or uh, cartoon animations like Simpsons, Um, even popular TV shows like Numbers or movies like modern-day movies, Hidden Figures. Um, An example might be in the the Jeopardy um, game show I've mentioned. There's a kids week where there are students who are elementary school level, they're answering math questions and the, the category was non-common core math. And it was a, a way of students to try and answer these procedural questions. And there was just one, one male out of the three contestants, two other were female, and they're just trying to answer questions, but only the male is always chiming in to answer them and he's constantly running out of time. Every time he tries to do it, he's just not able to get it in on time. And um, the other individuals just aren't, aren't chiming in. And by the end, you actually see the entire board is empty except for the two hardest math questions left in the category. And so it kind of gives this idea subconsciously to students that, you know, math must be hard. It's even hard for these contestants who are brilliant on, on Jeopardy and they're struggling with the time pressures and, um, and only the males answering these questions. So all these, all these different mm-hmm. things are playing into the the unseen unsaid things for students they're they're making these these um assumptions based on what they're seeing and it's building into their individual um mathematics identities i mean that's like i mean incredibly insightful and terrifying at the same time greg you look like you were about to add something um i looked at popular cultures um um, effect on mathematics identities uh, through a specific realm of memes. Um, and memes are uh, this relatively new form of communication that students are kind of using. Um, they're, they're prevalent on social media. Um, and they kind of send messages back and forth uh, using these these images with captions on them. Um, so what I did was create a meme inventory and I had uh, students kind of identify the messages that were they were receiving from mathematics. Uh, all in all, it, like uh, a general synopsis comes that uh, students had um, these negative perceptions of of mathematics, um, even though they were good math students. So um, we had students who, from all ranges, who had um, high levels in and the mathematics that they were encountering at the time. And um, they still just kind of adhered to like the negative, uh, this negative culture around mathematics of saying mathematics is hard or mathematics is different, difficult, or didn't seem to kind of like want to build like an uplifting um, message about mathematics, even though their experience is kind of totally different from what, um, what we would quote, say like the norm mathematical experiences um and it kind of um in in further discussions with students it kind of kind of seemed like there was some some just general ignorance of like the processes of what it takes to become good at mathematics 
Um, so there's like that natural belief that if I'm good at mathematics, then I shouldn't have to struggle in it, right? Mm-hmm. And and like struggle is part of the process, right? And why isn't why isn't struggle not part of the process? It's it's more so saying if a problem is put up on the board, I'm supposed to immediately know exactly what to do, um, and not the oh hmm, let me stop, let me think about this, let me try a way. If this way doesn't work, then let me try try another way. Like the the general persistence. Um, that um, that we as adults can kind of um, um, use within or utilize within mathematics now, it seems as though like that's at an all-time low for students. Um, and they more more so feel like if they don't know what to do with the problem, then or they show difficulties within answering the problems, then that means that they're not mathematics people or mm-hmm. they're not like mathematically sufficient because I cannot do this problem. I'm struggling right here. And I do not know how to think or solve about the answer. Um, so one of the things I find most fascinating about what you just said is that regardless of a student's mathematic proficiency, there are these negative assumptions about their mathematics identity. Um, and I think that's really striking and gets at the heart of this problem that it's not just something that students who maybe struggle in the classroom feel, but it's kind of a perba- pervasive issue that, I mean, I think you got, you alluded to with the Jeopardy clip and those kind of things. So I guess what I'm curious is based off your guys' research, your experience um, in schools, what advice do you have for teachers to, to overcome this? Because, I mean, you're talking about the stereotype that, you know, boys are more proficient in math than girls and wanting to bring that down that like math isn't supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be easy bringing that down. Uh, so yeah, I guess I'll just leave it there and let you guys answer. One of the uh, findings recently by Bowler in 2017 was that math still continues to be taught with time tests and, and, and speed pressures. And it's emphasizing more answers along with the set of procedures and calculations and a lot of these reasons tie into children or students with math anxiety, um, but more so the fact that there aren't these conversations being held in the classroom where teachers need to show a bit of empathy with the students and, and maybe knowing ahead of time that these are issues that students have or are facing coming into the classroom to sit down and have conversations about this possibly utilize a meme or utilize a video math clip and, and start having conversations about students is, is it really like this? Or how can you have a different mentality going into things? Um, and, and just in general, showing that the effort is what's needed and it's worth the struggle and it's okay to struggle with it. And how can you potentially be better as a math student based on making a more positive identity? Um, so to build off his point about empathy, um, I, I strongly suggest that um, teachers do start with math autobiographies um, in the beginning of the school year and start to understand like the general the, the general um, understandings that they their students actually have about mathematics and the processes that it goes through. Um, and and I know an autobiography is it is just just this one assignment that kind of teachers do like. Um, um, nonchalantly in the beginning of the year and they don't ever kind of revisit it. But um, what I'm actually suggesting is that they kind of get an ongoing like interactive um, autobiography where you kind of read the initial story and then like whether it be bi-weekly, weekly, monthly, to kind of revisit the stories and kind of answer the students back and have that natural conversation 
because the, this this the conversation in itself is missing and with without having something to kind of combat um, these these negative experiences or these negative images or messages that students mm-hmm. are receiving they're seeing to kind of evolve and manifest themselves into students um, within our classrooms nowadays um, and we, we get these these behaviors and we get these um, these um, these attitudes that students are having um, and it's it's partly like the way we're teaching mathematics um, and what we're emphasizing in mathematics. Mm-hmm. Um, why isn't okay to for like why is the answer being emphasized? Why the process? Why isn't the process being emphasized? Or, so, so that's something I actually want to ask about because as I'm thinking about like my own math education and I'm thinking about how if I mess up a step in the process in math, it seems like the ramifications are so much greater, right? If I um, am doing, you know, like a three or four step problem and I do a subtraction error or a multiplication error, my end answer is going to be wrong, even though I might do the rest of the process. Right. And I think it's hard, right. To disentangle that. It was like, actually you just made a small error. So, I mean, how, how would you recommend teachers frame those processes and say, like, this is what we're focusing on? Like, yeah, we want to get this stuff right, but I guess I don't know how would that work. Well, well, it starts with not <laughs> emphasizing the answer in, in, in its wholeness, right? So um, I usually do writing activities within mathematics. So writing activities kind of lead to other misconceptions or further, um, con- like the deeper consciousness, consciousness of like whether or not the student understands the process of understands generally what goes on. Don't get me wrong. I do. There's there's an emphasis on like a slight emphasis on like the correct answer. Like yeah, you were able to mm-hmm. kind of multiply correctly. But if you understood like why like w- what the purpose of the multiplication was in this mm-hmm. general scenario, then. Um, to me that, that, that definitely shows like, um, a kind of competency within mathematics. Um, I want to say one of the most harmful things I kind of see, um, in my line of work is, um, teachers kind of dumbing down, um, um, their, their content to, to, because they often say students don't get it. So one, one of the, like, things they do is just they'll, they'll go back to a sixth grade level or they'll go back like two or three years or four years mm-hmm. and say, nope, students are still struggling on fractions. Um, and, and they'll kind of just throw the worksheet at them and say like, uh, like, um, and to me, that's, that's really like the unproductive practice of it all. Right. Um, it, for a teacher, like part of your job is the, the productive struggle and understanding where students are at and ha- understanding how to build them forward while like using relevant content, while using um, um, the, the, the content, the topic that they're in right now, um, mm-hmm. rather than kind of say like, let me just, you can work on fractions in, in, in linear applications. You can work on fractions through quadratic um, applications. You don't necessarily need to go back to the rules of fractions to kind of teach a student like, all right, let's go one step at a time. And, and that's kind of like, the understanding of, uh, of the problem that we kind of have of of like how to address certain things, um, like if not to go back to the basis of it, but like we can kind of have this reciprocal teaching throughout. Um, yeah.
throughout. And so to speak on this point, it's more so uh, something that Dr. Benoit had mentioned earlier about using multiple methods of um, of answering a problem. When a student individually is answering a problem multiple ways and not getting the same answer, they're then now going to be able to go back and check over, see where they have a discrepancy with what they mm -hmm. might have done. But also it's this collective now in the classroom, potentially having students get together and kind of have a discussion, share their work, what they've done, go through their different procedures and steps so that they can hold each other accountable and maybe even do this comparison of work mm -hmm. to see, you know, where, where are we, where's this discrepancy between our own work? Um, the other aspect that uh, was just talked about was also holding students accountable to a certain level of work. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of, regardless of the individual, whether they're male, female, what, what race they are, what uh, age group they are in, but holding everybody to the same standard of accountability so that they're reaching for this, this harder level. And mm -hmm. if they're struggling along the way, as we've discussed earlier, that's okay. It's part of the process, and it's more of a, a collective that they should... Uh, aim to reach something that's that's harder for them yeah in terms of like not building like a false mathematics identity mm -hmm. of uh, attempting easy like i can give you addition problems all day mm -hmm. every day of the week you'll feel very successful but at the same like where's the rigor in it and like if you're able to do more why is it my expectation at a higher level for you and and to to give you work that is very suitable rigorous and um somewhat on on actual grade level um, so that you can kind of um, address or attack um, the content standards or the standards that need to be addressed. Um, a lot of it boils down to like, um, which is a whole different set of like, a whole different, is like differentiation strategies mm -hmm. within mathematics that teachers can use so that like the entry window is, is, is wide and mm -hmm. open and so that students can attack uh, a problem at different levels. Um, and, and get to the same kind of actual result. So one thing that I have to ask, and I guess this is maybe more of a personal question than a research-based question is, as listeners of the podcast will know, I, I think grading is one of the things that's least talked about and most important. And when I'm thinking of like students' math identity, right, because so often it is graded on did you have the correct answer. And so say there's five problems and you got two wrong, you're down to 60%. Are there ways that you can change how you grade math assignments? Maybe it's uh, how you grade them. Maybe it's how frequently. Maybe um, it's a differentiated based on where the student is. But what would be, I guess, in maybe your estimation, a practical way that teachers could think about that to try to keep the rigor high and also increase that positivity with math relationships as opposed to saying, you know, wrong, wrong, wrong? Oh. One, one part of it is definitely breaking down problems when you are grading something into multiple steps. So it's not just, you know, checking off that final answer at the so end. So can I just stop you really yeah. quick? So I think the first thing that you're saying is not everything is graded. Right. Because you're saying what is graded. Is that, okay, so that's helpful. So sorry, continue. Right. And so an example of that would be, for instance, what was mentioned about these autobiographies sharing about your mathematics individuality. Mm -hmm. these, these things can be graded. Um, but you can also do things more as students feel uh, comfortable sharing and being open about this, this discussion about mathematics. But when things are graded, especially if you're working on a certain set um, type of mathematics, uh, let's say we use the idea of maybe working with quadratic formulas, then it's more so maybe an emphasis on the exactly relevant aspect of the problem. If, say, taking into account a mistake was making, 
was the rest of it correctly worked out, maybe the overall idea of answering the problem, as opposed to, say, something that was a foundational issue like a multiplication that we had mentioned? When addressing the grading issue, it's more so like, I feel as though we need, just just because we're in a different, a severe state of mathematics, mm-hmm. um, um, anxiety, I feel as though like there, there has to be like this multiple attempt type of um, uh, uh, strategy kind of used where it's more so like not yet, right? Like you, you may have not mastered this, this standard or this strategy yet, but there's going to be multiple opportunities for you to actually like get the the actual the actual concept throughout the year. So it's almost there's partially a change in grading, but it's a bigger change in the language that's yeah. used, right? Like saying like you haven't got this yet, we're still happening, as opposed to you can't do this or something like that. And and definitely stay away from like the, like just the emphasis on the answer, right? Yeah. Because then the, that kind of neglects or discourages students like. They kind of now, instead of looking exactly where they made their mistake, they kind of say, like, they trash the whole thing, right. right? And to understand that all of it might not be wrong, right? And it's more so, like, let's stop from where you messed up at, which might have been um, the tail end of a problem. And then mm-hmm. kind of say, oh, you just made this small error. But if you kind of, like, throw the big X on it, like, you know, that has different ramifications, right? It just kind of says, all right. I'm done. <laughs> like, and I just, you know, that problem just took 10 minutes or 20 minutes out, out of my time to do. And then it kind of builds on to this whole, like, this whole narrative of what we've been speaking about. Of Like, all right, well, maybe math isn't for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I just didn't spend all this time and I still got it wrong. Right. Um, and to, to understand this, like, what that means for a student. Right. So guys, I, this has been really helpful for me, especially someone who doesn't spend a ton of time in math. And I don't like want to cut this too brief, but are there maybe additional thoughts that you would like to share that you haven't said yet, whether it's an educator who's listening or maybe a parent who's listening that's saying, I know math phobia is a real thing. What can I do? What would be your final piece of advice or final thoughts about this anxiety that math induces and how we can better help students cultivate positive identities regarding math. There's a, a, a call for individuals who are consuming, let's say, popular culture or looking at uh, society at large with mathematics in mind um, to be more cognizant of these different kind of negative images and things that they might be seeing. Um, so maybe take into account that there's different reasons why certain things might be be shown and that it doesn't necessarily apply to the situations at large. So in specific, um, I'm thinking more along the lines of anything that has to do with math being um, something that's uh, difficult or useless and not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then there's this idea of at home and in general mathematics as a subject compared to other subjects, that it's something that's that's worth doing where it it's okay. It's okay in general uh, in a society if uh, students don't do well in math for some reason. But if for someone not to be able to read or write, that that's considered something that's very bad. That math for some reason isn't at the same level, and that starts in general in the household or in the classrooms. And these are things that, um, as a parent, as a teacher. Uh, try to reinforce the fact that everybody can be good at math with effort. There isn't so-called math gene, and it's something that it, it's worth doing, and students should be held accountable for 
making math um, something that's important in their lives? Um, my my elastic note is math is alive, right? So, and it, it, it kind of permeates our world in, in specific ways. And it's up for the community at large to kind of like show and demonstrate the importance of that to students of um, the reason why math math is important or the reason why like mathematical applications help build something or like the the actual relevance it actually has in this world um if a lot of a lot a lot of people kind of sit, sit there and the running argument is like you're not going to use this after high school mm-hmm. and the reality is it is you will um and it 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 does demonstrate itself in specific ways in our world and um without those examples being kind of explicitly stated to students that false um misconception or stereotype kind of lives on right um it's more than just adding subtracting um and multiplying and dividing it's more than operations it's it's more than procedures right mathematics is is a lot more dense and and um and it's a lot more it's a lot more difficult than than just procedures or, or like it's a it's a lot describing mathematics is a different it's like it's a dissertation in itself right um how vast it is like you know i'm thinking about like topology um thinking about financial mathematics there's there's so many different realms to this it's so vast it's 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 almost it's a way of thinking. You're teaching yourself to be able to take any problem at large that you're faced with in the world, being able to break it down and being able to solve the issue. And that doesn't have to be with just dealing with numbers. It could be anything at all. But it's just training yourself to think a certain way and to be, be a problem solver at large as an individual. Well, it's not often we get two people waxing so beautifully about mathematics. So. <laughs> I thank you guys for coming and sharing not only your poetics, but your insights into fighting math phobia. Um, For listeners, uh, we'll be back in your uh, feed next week. Bye. 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 Thank you.